Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the circuits of time. A home for the best in 80s movies. Grab your root beers and let's get rocking. Welcome to episode 20 of the Circuit of Time 80s movie podcast. I am your host, JD, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Jaff Dog. It's good to be back recording with you, Jaff. Um, we've reached episode 20. A nice milestone. Uh, anything you want to say before we move on? Well, it would be Abraham Lincoln who might say uh, one score. And about one year ago, maybe 18 months ago, when we started <laughs> this great endeavour. And of course, the last thing I'd like to say is, party on, dudes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, to be fair, we'd have probably hoped to have recorded a lot more, I think, by this point, but... I think such is the way everything's gone for the last 18 months. I think we can forgive ourselves, can't we? I agree, JD. Well, this latest deep dive into the wonderful world of 80s movies takes us back to 1985 in a film you may recognise from the following sound. And if you didn't get it from that, Jeff Dog, what is the movie we'll be discussing? Teen Wolf. Yeah, another Michael J. Fox classic from 1985. Uh, so without further ado, uh, tell us a few things about Teen Wolf. Some brief facts. Well, as you say, JD, it's a 1985 Michael J. Fox. It wasn't only Back to the Future in that year. It was directed by Rod Daniel. Now get this, JD, it was filmed on a budget of $1.2 million. And its gross revenue was $80 million. It's an incredible markup. It is. And I don't know whether this came out before Back to the Future or after, but I know Michael J. Fox had a bit of fame, didn't he, in um, what was the show he was in in the early 80s? Family Ties. I think it was Family Ties. So, But but still, nonetheless, even with that, it, it's a hell of a jump, isn't it, from a $1 million budget? Yeah, huge. And um, you could even say that it was the secret of his success. Uh, oh, nice. following, <laughs> in following in 1987, that's another film. Or oh, we could talk forever about that film. But anyway, sticking back to Teen Wolf. You mentioned it was directed by someone by the name of Rod Daniel. That's not a name I'm familiar with. Okay, yeah, his his full title was actually Roland Augustus Daniel the Third. So I wonder if there was a Roland Augustus Daniel the First and a Roland Augustus Daniel the Second as well. Uh, I would, I would imagine so. <laughs> Well, uh, God bless him. He's not with us uh, any longer. And who could forget his uh, his classic films, such as uh, K-9. That was the one about the dog. That was also the uh, the police officer. Uh, and then it only goes uphill from there with Beethoven's Second in 1993, written by... Uh, so did the, hang on. Are you, did this guy have some sort of K-9 fetish? Like, Team Wolf, <laughs> K-9... Beethoven second. <laughs> well, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't have anything to do with all dogs go to heaven, did he? Uh, he didn't. No. However, he did have something to do with a two thousand film called Alley Cat Strike. Ah. And his last his last project in two thousand and two was the fabled Home Alone four. Fabled indeed. Fatal <laughs> to his career, I think. <laughs> so, Jeff Dog, what is Teen Wolf all about? Movie synopsis. Well, Scott Howard is a 17-year-old high school student from a small town in Nebraska. 
He's a bit of a loser and he plays for the school's quite unsuccessful basketball team. When he starts to notice some changes that uh, aren't really consistent with normal adolescence, uh, teenage life becomes not just full of angst, but full of moon-howling mayhem, as he, a uh, spoiler alert here, JD, but he discovers that he has the ability to shapeshift into a wolf, and we follow the lupine loser's transformation in more ways than one, as he becomes a success in school. Excellent, excellent. And only in the 80s can you have a school gymnasium leaving you pumped and ready with a great soundtrack at the end of the film. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned soundtrack there. It won't be the first time we mention it this episode. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because we've had a couple of episodes where we've said about the film storylines, certainly in this decade. It's quite simple. And this film in particular, it's not a complex story, is it? Other than the fact that there's a kid turning into a werewolf. This is a kid who just doesn't fit in. He's not popular. Uh, It's more... Is it a hero's journey? I know we've said this a few episodes, but is it in some way a hero's journey? I feel it is. If you actually look at this film, uh, there's almost a template there for 2002 Spider-Man, obviously with a bit more effects and a bit more going on in that uh, second film. However, the the idea that I I hope we explore... Oh, that's Spider-Man. That's the one with Doc Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. What? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a, of a pun, but you just keep gobbling them all up on me. <laughs> anyway, let, shall we get stuck into Team Wolf the movie? Should we jump right in with the review? Thanks very much, JD. Let's just do just that. Uh, so the opening scene it, it starts off. Uh, Michael J. Fox. Uh, he's got free shots, isn't he? He's in a basketball gym. He's in a school gymnasium. He's ready to take these free shots in a basketball match. It's it's slow motion, but just prior to that, there's there's a a sound, isn't it? It's almost like a riff. You'd almost mistaken it for like a scary movie. Um, it, it's almost like a heartbeat. Wow, JD. You know, I, um, we've talked about this before. We don't we don't discuss the films before we actually come together to watch, watch them, other than in the pub discussions that we may have had in the past. But that was the very first thing that I noticed. It's this uh, sense of terror. The film's two, uh, 1985, 1984, Nightmare on Elm Street's previous episode. It reminded me of that. That black screen, white credits, a heartbeat, but a really scary, repetitive sound. And I clocked this in at about two, two and a half minutes before we actually see anything on screen. And I thought that was really quite quite, quite a bold choice on behalf of the filmmakers to do that. It was, and it, it kind of gives you no clue as to what the film's going to be. In fact, you'd almost say it's completely wrong. It's, it leads you to think that this is going to be a sinister film. Yes, it's a werewolf and whatnot, but it, it's a fun film, isn't it? it it's cheese fest you know our favorite kind of film but it, it was definitely striking yeah it goes from abject horror to um absolute 80s bliss it really does but here he is uh our character scotty our protagonist if you like can't remember his surname now but scotty's in a, in, a, in a school gymnasium he's playing for the beavers the school basketball team and he's got some free shots uh, which of course he, he goes on to miss which is the first clue that this kid's down and out isn't it yeah, he's down and out. You know, there's something about Michael J. Fox. <laughs> he's got the ability to look like a loser. <laughs> I mean that in the nicest possible way. And of course, before Back to the Future, there's just a real slight awkwardness about him, you know, the way he carries himself. And there's so many similarities here between this character and uh, Marty. It's Scott Howard, by the way. Uh, and yeah, the beavers, actually. I noticed it was the beavers. I thought it might have been the, the Wolverines or Wolves or something like that. But uh, I guess there was another film in that year. 
perhaps a little bit earlier where the, the group was called the Wolverines. Red Dawn, that's what I'm thinking um, of. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't mean, I know the film, I can't think of the, the, the connection, but uh, there you go. Uh, and of course, the antagonist is playing for the opposing team, the Dragons, uh, by the name of Mick. And I think there is a, a minor uh, confrontation in that opening duel. I think he calls him a loser. He says, you guys suck. And, and this is obviously the, our first introduction to Mick. The, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily call him a bully, but he's certainly the rival or, or will be the rival in this film. Yeah, I think somebody needs to actually go and have a word with Mick because, um, you know, he appears to be about 15 years older than the, the average high school student. <laughs> you know, the, always, the thing that always gets me in these 80s films... Um, I guess you see it a lot now, though, with uh, Netflix teen dramas and things. The the alleged teenage characters have, are always full of adult confidence and exuberance, and, and they all look like adults as well. Um, do. It, it helps <laughs> if you're being played by 25-year-olds. Yeah, I'm immediately re- reminded of um, our old friend Tom Welling in uh, Smallville 20 years ago. Well, how old was Tom Welling in Smallville? Um, I, he must have been knocking on 25, 26, something like ah. that. Yeah. It's funny though, it works, doesn't it? Because these are the films that we still look to, and these are the ones we love. So it, it, it's clearly a, a winning formula. But as other than Mick, we also have uh, our introduction in this opening scene to the love interest, or should I say, the two love interests in uh, the strangely named Booth. And of course, you have a uh, popular, good looking Pamela. Yeah. So again, this is really setting it up now, isn't it, for a, a classic 80s film? You've got the the wholesome girl, uh, a real-life girl in Booth, with, apart from the name, which is an unusual name. I think it had something to do with one of the producers went out with a girl called Booth, or a nickname is Booth anyway. And then on the other hand, you've got the, the cool, popular, good-looking, the blonde girl. You know, she's the one that's going out with Mick, who's the, who's the antagonist, uh, sort of, in the film. Uh, and you just know there's going to be some... A conflict here between between these two girls you know is he going to be pulled one way or the other but of course we don't know that yet because scott is is a, a essentially a dork one of the dorks on this loser team so w- the question is what's going to happen if you've not seen the film not seen the poster what's going to happen that actually changes this dynamic yeah and it's like he might be a dork and he might be a loser but he certainly set his sights high doesn't he i mean he really likes pamela this is the gala he looks to, albeit Booth, he's pretty close to it. And we see through the film, he has, he has a somewhat of a nice relationship with it. I know he needs a prompt from his dad, Harold, every now and again. But Pamela is the one he's got his, uh, his sights set on, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's like that teenage uh, idealism. You, you know, you want to, you, you you expect that life's going to be so much better than what your parents is. And you think that your parents' life is just so dull and ordinary and, you know, you're going to be something else, something special, something different to this. This is completely different <laughs> when reality is in 15 years time, you're probably going to be very, very similar to them anyway. So, so uh, Booth is the, is the girl who's probably going to end up marrying in, in, the, in a normal world. Uh, Pamela's the girl, the idealistic, uh, the 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 dream girl, uh, the one who has everything going for her. Um, but yeah, he does. You're right. He does set his his, his his sights high. I think he says something later on in the film about wanting to get out of uh, this small town in in Nebraska as well, away from where he works with his dad. I'm sure, we'll talk more about that later. So he's got aspirations, hasn't he? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, like all teenagers, he wants to. He, at least he's trying for the team. Uh, giving up his Friday nights to to practice with the basketball team. Even though his, his, him and his friends are, are kind of losers, they still managed to get to go to a party 
which in in 80s films i think is kind of like the um if you get to go to the party then then you are you you accepted. might not be fully good yeah 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 at least it's somewhat somewhat accepted although it helps if you can bring a keg of beer <laughs> um, but speaking of the party we actually are quickly introduced to the party animal himself styles who if some would argue is probably the star of the movie albeit everyone loves michael j fox but styles is a bit of a show stealer this guy isn't he yeah it's something really off and really odd about him and really quirky and when you've got a friend like that in a film well you know that's it's a it's usually a recipe for someone who's quite quite likable he he's the kind of guy that you, if you read up on the internet and, and the comic cons, like he's got a bit of a cult following. Uh, he's he's actually you know noticed. And I don't know if he's. I'm sure he's been in quite a few films, but this is the film everyone knows him for. It's the film everyone talks to him about when they meet him. So it, it is a bit of a cult like status of Styles. He, he was in my house, I think, when we were kids. But early on in the film, and in fact, I think it's in this opening basketball scene, we get our first clue as to something's not quite right with Scott, Scotty. He growls, doesn't he, in the middle of the court, uh, prompting everyone to kind of look up and take notes. He does, yeah. And again, this is where the, the parallels with Smallville come in come into play. Do you remember in that scene when uh, Clark fell off a, a rope in the in the gym hall and he, I think he banged his head and then he saw people as skeletons and things like that. And it was kind of like a flash as to as to what might, what's going on here. And you, you're not quite sure what's going on. And he reminded me very much of that. Yeah, he does. He growls. Um, do we see the hair on the hands or is that a bit later? It's a bit later, but it's, it's, we're slowly drip fed this, um, these clues that this kid's going with some sort of transformation. Um, I think when he goes back to the changing rooms, he notices he's really long hairs on his chest which yeah he, he just yanks out and, and thinks nothing of it but in reality if you were bare chested and you went back to a changing room and found eight or nine six inch hairs on your chest you'd be very concerned yeah have you ever had actually had that jd where you've looked in the mirror and then noticed a really really long hair coming from somewhere usually around the face and it's just appeared and you swear you've never noticed it before <laughs> i think we all have <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how does that happen overnight uh how i'd long for that now <laughs> but we find out as well that following the what is a, a bit of a pummeling by the the dragons that scotty wants to drop out the team uh, and of course he, he says to the, the coach uh, the great coach we can and we can talk about as well he wants to drop out because he's going through changes and it's a clever scene you know in the sense that it's it's kind of um, exhibited in a way that makes you think that this is a kid going through adolescence and puberty but of course scotty's talking about something entirely different yeah yeah that's it it is it's those parallels uh between growing up and coming of age as a as a teenager and the radical change that's happening to him with the werewolf and that's where that film this film's very clever i think he says something to uh coach finstock uh, along the lines of you know i'm going through these changes and he says oh oh yeah well, we all go through those don't we son you know you know that type of thing it always strikes me that the coaches in these american films they're always more like the friends of the, of the pupils or the students let's <laughs> say more and, than and, and this guy's a bit he's a bit of a show stealer he's got some great lines um he's just fantastic coach finstock you said his name wasn't it yeah that's right coach finstock um, following that, we have uh, the scene with Scotty, uh, who's walking home with Booth. Uh, and, of course, he, he takes this opportunity to start obsessing over Pamela. Um, and it's that typical trope, isn't it, of uh, obsessing over the popular girl when the real love interest is probably right under your nose. 
Oh, that's a classic theme. You know, I was watching a film just the other night, um, a UK TV programme called uh, The In-Betweeners. They made a film of it a couple, about 10 years ago. And the, the boys go on a, on a holiday abroad and, um, you know, the, they're all obsessing over other girls when there's a group of girls who are really interested in them, right right with them, but they just can't see that, you know, and they are 17, 18 again on the cusp of adulthood. And that's such a recurring theme, isn't it? You know, the idea that, you you're always going to be pining after someone who's who's uh, out there and ideal and someone you really really like. When right underneath your nose is someone who cares very very deeply about you, who you've probably got a really deep connection with, but in many cases you don't necessarily see those as being a love interest. Um, you may only see those as being a friend. How lucky, JD, you know, because I don't remember actually having any female friends growing no. up. Yeah, well, you know, that's the tale of an all-boys <laughs> school that we went to, isn't it, JD? Well, you never know. He might have been right on the nose and you just never knew it. Ah, oh, right, okay. <laughs> Anything goes. Everyone's free to do what they want to be what they want. Uh, Scotty is soon in the hardware store. It's his dad's hardware store, which I think he does a couple of um, shifts alongside his father. And he hears a high-pitched sound, doesn't he? It's uh, a kid blowing a, a dog whistle. And this is further clues that he's undergoing changes, more clues as to what's going on with this kid. Yeah, you know, one of those kids who just automatically pops up and you think you're really annoying because he's he, he's in the shop and he picks up this dog whistle, like you say, starts playing it. And as um, Scott, I almost said to Marty, as Scott comes over to him, he says something like, um, the kid says, it doesn't work. You know, like a really obnoxious manner. And also the question is, yeah, okay, his dad runs the hardware store. Why does the hardware store need to sell dog whistles? Yeah. <laughs> but then maybe, Same maybe job. I guess it's more like, a, um, because it is such a small town, the, the general store will sell a bit, a bit of everything to the hardware and in this country. I think we wore uh, some sort of 24-7 night and day, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, soon after that, we have Scotty's first attempt to lure Pamela. Uh, I think he actually asks her if she wants to go to the party or he, she needs a ride. Uh, but it's soon thwarted by, by Mick, the uh, rival. Or I think we, we kind of established early on, isn't it, that Mick is actually um, Pamela's boyfriend. Would we make that? Would we yeah. make that leap? Yeah, he's he's speaking to uh, Styles and they're talking about this, and he says something. Styles says something like, "Oh, that guy's got to be at least 20. and um, also mentions that yet yeah, he is a, a girl, a, a boyfriend. Oh, there you go. Um, so ultimately, it, it was his attempt um, was reneged. Um, but the other attempt that they make before the party is to get alcohol. Styles doesn't he tries to go to the heart. It's a great scene, you know. When you, I think we've seen this a couple of times in, in various media where someone goes into a liquor store to try and buy some booze and either has a fake ID, uh, puts on like some sort of uh, outfit or disguise to try and make them sound a bit more grown up. And, and Styles talks as if he's like an old timer, doesn't he? It's a great scene. Oh yeah, I mean two things there. Um, which the more I think about it now, probably inspired um, uh, the, the writers of Superbad because the idea of going to a party where you will gain some degree of respect uh, if you can get hold of booze, you know, that is the central theme of that film, Superbad, which is a film that I really, really love. Uh, but those people who wrote that would have been growing up during this time. I'd imagine that Team Wolf would have been very much of their their error and yeah of course yeah they go to the, the the store and like you say it's a classic scene the the fake id 
you know, everyone can get a fake ID in the States. I don't even know why they have the ID system in the first place because it seems like anyone can circumvent it like uh, McLovin and <laughs> Superbad. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the, the, the guy behind the counter, he's, um, I think he's he's been there and seen it and done it all before. So he he's having none of it from any of them. He's old school, wasn't he? He's very old school. So uh, eventually, of course, Scotty is able to, con- well, not convince the, the store owner because it kind of scares him into giving him the keg of beer, doesn't he, with his red eyes that glow up with the uh, famous line. Give me a keg of beer. Nice. Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> Following that, we have the drive to the party. And, of course, this is the first time where we see the famous scenes of uh, Styles uh, on top of the, the moving van uh, to the tune of Safe in USA, which is one of the more memorable scenes in the film. And I think, We'll obviously see later on. It's it's replicated by uh, the Team Wolf himself. Um, but again, in another um, moment in this scene, Scotty notices a change. I think his ears start to go pointed, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I think does he notice it in the rear view mirror or the wing mirror or something of the van? I think something. it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the party itself uh, is a pretty good scene. Uh, squirty cream and jello need the same more. Yeah, what a what a. <laughs> Everyone's rolling around on the part on the floor. What a, what a what a great party this looks like! Yeah, I mean the, the thing that makes it for me is the soundtrack and the dancing that's going on. There's there's some cool songs in this in this uh, film, like real like rad eighties type type uh, songs. And I hope we get to talk more about the soundtrack later. But yeah, I think the song in particular in that scene is called uh, Silhouette, and it's you know real like eighties synth. Everyone's dancing, they've got the, the sleeves rolled up and the suits and that type of thing. I love it's it. It's brilliant. No, listen, I don't mind you talking about the soundtrack now. I mean, we're on the subject and it's obviously something that I've I've watched Team Wolf now for, well, well 35 years since it came out and it, it was a, a classic in my house and the soundtrack's beloved. I'm with you, it's a, it's a great soundtrack and this is a great scene. And of course, Styles is kind of running the show. He's Scotty's mate, which is strange if we think of Scotty as the dork, because Styles certainly isn't at the at this party. Is he? He's almost the ringleader. He is, yeah. I mean, he, he seems to be the man who can get hold hold of things. So there's something about him that he, he he's he's his friend. He's not. I mean, he's hard to he's hard to pin down, really, isn't he? In that sort of, if you think about the the sort of collection of of stereotypes that we know from these films that we love. He doesn't quite fit in any of them, does he? He's kind of like the fixer who crosses uh, everything. You know, like kind of if you see a prison film, there's usually, some, you know, you've got all the gangs, but you've got someone who can get everything for everyone. The go-to guy. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the scene where Booth is locked in the cupboard with Scotty. And I think it's maybe not the first clue, because I think that there's a couple of moments where we see Booth um, with the, those eyes, the the... the, the Pondering guys, you can tell that there's some sort of affection there, isn't it, for, for Scotty? And this is her chance to show it because I think she doesn't actually have Scotty's name on the piece of paper. She changes it so that ultimately she's going to end up locked in this cupboard with the person that she likes. Yeah, I don't know about you, JD, but I never ever went to any parties like that. In the... <laughs> no, you would have enjoyed it, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I never ever sat in a car with a boy or parked with a boy. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I think that the the thing about Booth is, you know, she is meant to be the the geeky one, the slightly geeky one, should I say? 
Uh, and then when they get in that cupboard and start kissing, well, Scott just gets a little bit out of hand, doesn't he? Should we say he gets a little bit rough? He does, and unless we see her walking away, don't we? In the back of his shirt, all torn and ripped, which leads us nicely to the ultimate transformation itself. Scotty gets back to the house, the heart racing, he's sweating, and he he runs up to the bathroom. It's a horrible scene, really. You see the makeup and you know the face distortion. It's not quite American Werewolf in London. But it, it's a nice scene. Yeah, obviously there's a few cuts to make it look better. Yeah. But the, the transformation itself, I mean, the, what what would you say as far as the effects and music is concerned? I, I like, I think the makeup after the transformation is is good. Does he look like a werewolf? Maybe not so much, but the, the transformation scene itself. I'm glad you mentioned the American werewolf in London because it kind of reminds me of that. The slight changes... Uh, these really extreme close-up shots that we see. But it, it, you said it well, uh, you said the best. It doesn't quite go as far as that. It's not quite as horrifying. It's not quite as extensive. I mean, maybe that's got something to do with, with the budget, really. Uh, the film that's made on $1.2 million, even in the 1980s, probably spent a lot of money on film, celluloid itself, you know, rather than makeup and effects. So we we see a lot of the before and after in a similar way to The Incredible Hulk, where we, you know, we see the before and after and not a whole lot in between the, the Bill Bixby TV series I'm talking about. And, and of course, if done correctly, it works fine. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, look, this is a comedy film. Uh, you know, it's it's not exactly uh, it's not exactly trying to trying to win the, 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 the award for best effects. You know, we know what's happening to him. We don't need to have this uh, elaborate uh, being convinced that it's something other than what it is. You know, it's it's the it's the fun scenes that we're watching it for. It's it's not necessarily the fact that uh, he looks like an actual wolf, or you know, she doesn't, but or anything like that. But 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 you get the point. Oh, I do totally. Um, but it's a really important moment in the film, and it's not the transformation that is the important point. We also find out that Scotty's dad is a werewolf too, and here is the point in the movie whereby we see the real power of what this film is. It's the relationship of Harold Howard and Scotty Howard and how, you know, the father's advice almost, if you like, and it, it kind of plays throughout the rest of the film, doesn't it, from this point on? Yeah, as he's standing in the mirror, Scott says something like, don't come in, Dad. Did you like my, my Michael J. Fox impression? Not bad, yeah. <laughs> and he says, uh, Dad says, like, no, oh. Dad. No, Dad. No. <laughs> well, whatever it is, son, I'm sure we can work it out. <laughs> <laughs> But and of when, course, as when, I say, we open he, the door yeah. and he's in full makeup. He's a wolf as well. Yeah, I think he his actually, dad says, doesn't he? We yes. were hoping it would miss. It skips a generation. Yeah, he actually looks like <laughs> uh, you can see some clips of Oliver Reed, very drunk in the 1980s. <laughs> his dad actually looks a lot like that. Um, yeah, he's, he's got the full thing going on. The fact that he said, you know, it actually skips a generation. Okay, who told him that? Which doctor does he go to to find this out? What test is there to find out the wolf gene? And if so, how many people are there like this? <laughs> I imagine it's just a family secret. You know, maybe his granddad told him and whatnot. Uh, and obviously he's subsequently passed down. But the following day, he's back at school and further transformation goes on. Yeah, I think that he goes to write on the chalkboard and he starts to see these nails growing. Um, so he runs to the bathroom. Um, and he, you can see there's that scene when he's running through the school halls that after they've just been mopped. I mean, they, they've got to be the wettest floors in school history. <laughs> Could have swam. 
Does he do um, a does he do a move? Uh, I'm just trying to think. It could be this film, could be something else. Does he sort of slide into the shot of the corridor and slip on the floor? It slides out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um and when he gets to the toilet, uh, we have our confrontation with the uh, vice principal. It's always the vice that- principal. It's a vice principal, but we see straight away that there's a grudge here. It, it seems almost personal, doesn't it? At this point in the film, we don't know what it is, but there's something there. Yeah, and there's a real common theme in these 80s films of uh, vice principals being the, uh, the 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 ball busters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, okay, we've got Principal Strickland. Okay, but that's you know 1955. Strictly, not not quite yet. Oh no, he's still ahead in 19. Uh, he's still the principal in 1985, isn't he? But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of um, is it Ferris Bueller? I think it's the the vice principal in that. Uh, it's definitely the vice principal in a film we've we've reviewed. Breakfast Club. Uh, Breakfast Club. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it, this idea of a, a person who's become maybe stuck in the job for too long. They've never quite got to where they should have done on the career ladder. And they're kind of in that middle bit and they're quite resentful about that. So maybe there's a bit of that in there, but there's a bit more to it that we learn later. There is. And soon we have the big reveal to Styles, which is a great scene. We don't actually see the the, the change, it's done off camera, but it's all about Styles' reaction to this. And you don't know how it's going to go down, but Styles, I think he says it's be- you're beautiful. And he knows that he can do something with this. This is almost a commodity. He's going to use, not use, because I think he he loves his friend that comes across, he looks after him, but he knows that the Teen Wolf can be something other than just a boy who's got hair on his body. Yeah, so I think I think he's becoming very much uh, Styles, that that go-getter, the, the fixer guy. You know, he's thinking of the next opportunity. He's going to be, he's the one who's going to own a business when he's older, isn't he, let's face it. Yeah, I mean... We always say, don't we, when you watch these films back 30, 35 years later, there's always one or two moments that are a little bit, oh, you think, oh, you know, they wouldn't get away with it. Now, I think at one point, Scotty says something like, I've got something I need to tell you. I think Styles' reaction is, you're not yeah. going to tell me you're, you're a fag. And it's like, you know, even 15 years ago, you probably wouldn't have noticed it as much as you would in 2021. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's a, a little bit of outdated uh, language in there, definitely. So um i did i did cringe when I, when i was watching that um but then on the other hand you know it comes down to this whole debate debate of do we judge the past by the standards that we've got today uh, and it was seen very much in that time and it needs to be said that you know homosexuality despite the fact that it was now legal in this country which it, i mean 20 years before that it hadn't been in the united kingdom i'm, I'm talking about but um, you know, it was seen very much as a as a sort of shameful thing, and especially with the onset of of AIDS, and uh, and I'm I'm really sad to say that actually, you know, still to this day, there's a lot of homophobia out there, and still um, things being referred to as being gay is still used as a term of insult, and it it really, really, really shouldn't be. Um, and I just hope to God that in 20, 30 years time, that use of that term, which is still used, will be seen just as outdated and just as shameful and just as cringeworthy as the the use of that term fag in in this film um just for anybody who's listening in the, in the states by the way if you didn't know um the word fag is is not used as much in the uk because the word fag actually refers to it's an informal term for a cigarette so there you go if you didn't yeah, know that, i mean now you know. i think i have heard it down the years it's not obviously as, as mainstream as it was in the us but no well said and i think you know, without going on too long about that, 
I think what we can say is the trajectory is there. We have been going in the right direction and that's all we can hope for, isn't it? But we'll save that for another podcast to divulge. I think so. Um, soon after, we have another basketball game. And of course, this is not just the, the reveal in front of his dad, the reveal in front of Styles, but this is the big reveal to everyone that Scotty is in fact the Team Wolf. It is, yes, the, the big reveal of the Team Wolf. And the question is how will society as a whole react to this? Now, of course, it would be interesting, the, the modern test, you know, what, what would it look like? Would people have him on the phone, on the social media within seconds? Would it be broadcast around the world? What will people be saying on Twitter? Would you have thousands of people who are coming out all over the world saying, yeah, actually, me too. Um, I'm, I'm a werewolf as well. You know, it's interesting. It's it's very local in this film, isn't it? You know, he reveals it to uh, the school, but the big buzz is just around the school. The younger kids want an autograph from him. Um, okay, he's got a few people chasing him here and there, but it's not like a big, you know, there's not like government scientists turning up up like an ET to <laughs> take him away somewhere and study him as some kind of... Uh, You're nature. right. Did you, did you say it's set in Nebraska? It is. It's a small, it's like small town, Nebraska. It's the kind of place where, you know, if someone was going to go off to fight in Vietnam or something, or rather, um, you know, if there's no opportunities, you join the military kind of thing, because that's about, that's about all there is to do. Uh, but I think you're right. It It is localised and we don't see anything other than, I think there may be one scene where Chubbs is reading something in the newspaper. Um, so it, it's made the local news, if anything. Um, but beyond that, nothing. Interestingly enough, I think I did read that there was one scene from the script, only one, that didn't make it into the final cut. And it was actually Teen Wolf appearing on television. I think it was with Johnny Carson, which oh. was obviously, I think it was a big deal. So for whatever reason, that was cut. But obviously, it, it gives us the illusion that this is an intimate town. The extent that the Teen Wolf is known is localised to the school and the residents of, the, of this community. Yeah, and then the, it raises the question of what, you know, Scott's dad, Howard, what? No, it's not Howard. So he's, oh, he'd be called Howard Howard, wouldn't he? <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Scott's dad, what Harold. was his name? Harold. <laughs> Scott, Scott's dad, what has he been doing? You know, has he, has he been spotted out uh, in society as a wolf? Has he done anything like that? I mean, so the question is, all right, he's got this power, uh, ability, should we say, rather than power. What is it that he does with it? What did this family do with it? How was it used? What purpose does it serve? You know, it's an, it's not like a superhero film, is it? Like the Spider-Man I mentioned before, where he goes and uses that to save people in New York. What is he going to do with this power once he's got it? Well, he's going to play basketball and be really good at it. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that works for the film, but it's interesting because he does become a hero about the town because of this, this uh, change. Uh, it's funny, if it, if it happened in real life, I think you'd probably be more likely to be called a freak than a hero. But in this film, he's loved. And of course, he he even becomes, well, he, he catches the attention of, of the females of the school, notably Pamela, of course, who starts to so show an interest in the wolf. In fact, we have that scene, don't we? Uh, the changing room scene. Because I think Scotty, who's trying to woo Pamela, um, starts to go into the school. He wants to be part of the school play, doesn't he? So he starts working with her on the play. And then we have the changing room scene where she gets a little intimate. Uh, anything you want to say about that scene? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they're only children, firstly, so you know they should be. They should be doing 20, this. Hang on, can I remind you that the twenty-five? Oh yeah, twenty-four. Of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just about to draw the pension and go on stage for the high school production. Uh, you know, there's something deep down, and I'm sure it's been studied, but there's something sort of psychosexual going on with this idea of the wolves. And the, uh, you know, vampires is another thing as well, you know, that probably taps into a part of, of human sexuality and, and psyche that um, is probably better explained by other other authors. I'm thinking of films here uh, with a similar sort of vein, um, the more recent Twilight films, there I mentioned them, but they were all about that and the wolves and all this kind of caper, that, that's what I'm thinking of there. Uh, but the there outsider, is the outside yeah. mystery man. Well, she, she likes the beast. idea. Yeah, yeah, she likes the idea of a wild beast, which I'm sure probably goes deeper down into our, you know, our evolution as well. So that, that hasn't been working for you. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I did try and grow a beard once. It was more Hans Klopek, wasn't it, JD? It was, mate. Um, but we also see another. Um, I don't know whether the film plays on this too much. It, it, it seems to be touched upon, albeit briefly. But the other members of the basketball team soon start resenting this hero um, because even though they win winning basketball games, they still don't like the idea of this one guy hogging the limelight, isn't he? Yeah, and also in a way, and this is where the you know the the, the drama of the film comes. All right, it was a novelty at first and great and they did well because of it but the reality is they're still a, a rubbish team and a team the idea of a team sport is a team has the opportunity to get better with skill and courage and determination and all the, the good players and all that sort of stuff on the merits of the of the team individuals coming together as a collective what's happened here is there's been an external force happen something's happened to one of their players which has given them extra abilities, which, yes, in the short term, look good on paper, and will probably get the team and the, their scoreline and the position in the local league or whatever it is they, they play up. But if they actually earn that, and also the limelight is all focused on this one guy, so there would be naturally some resentment towards him because of that. Yeah, because prior to the team, Wolf, they, they may have been losing, but they were still a team, and, and I suppose they lost as a team, didn't they? Yeah, there was a camaraderie about well playing, things. Well we soon see the uh, Wolfmobile. Uh, Styles, I think, trades it in for something, doesn't he? He makes some sort of investment. And then, of course, Team Wolf gets up on the, the, the top of the Wolfmobile and does the dance to save in USA. Can't remember the line. I think Scotty says something like, it's my turn to catch these waves or something, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's a classic scene. But interestingly, in this time, uh, is that his dad sees him. And his dad doesn't like what he sees, does he? He does, yeah. He, he he notices, he sees. And I think he probably sees a little bit of himself, maybe, when he was younger. You've been given this gift. You've got these powers. Um, you know, when you're a teenager, the idea of having these things um, is bestowed upon you. You're going to use them, and you're going to use them for your own benefits. But it's almost like the Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And he needs to learn that lesson because he hasn't learned it yet. He's being very reckless with it and he's using it for his own advantage. He's, an enjoy, he's enjoying it a bit too much. So he needs to be reined in a little bit. And he, quite rightly by his own father because he is his dad one, but he's also the only person who knows what he's gone through. 
And, and I'm so glad you pointed out the connection with with Spider-Man, the line about with great power comes great responsibility, because of course that is the line that Harold says to his son. And, and ultimately, Team Wolf is a superhero. He, he's got this alter ego who has greater physical prowess and you know can do things that none of the other players can. It's a superhero movie at the end of the day, isn't it? It is, yeah. The transformation, the change, the dynamic between one and the other. Boff says something to him along the lines of, I want a bit of time. I think it's a bit, little bit later maybe, but I want a bit of time, just 30 minutes, me and you, me and Scott, not the wolf. Whereas Pamela's the complete opposite, isn't she? She wants the wolf, but also probably because he's become famous and the, she's the popular girl, so she's got to be with the popular guy. Yeah, so Pamela likes what's on the outside. Booth likes what's on the end, ultimately. Well put. You did call her Boff, by the way, which we can leave that in. I thought that was quite amusing. It's Booth, not Boff. Excuse me. <laughs> got, got, got me O's and me F's wrong. It's a good exchange between Harold and Scott uh, because we also find out about the troubles that Harold had as being the wolf when he was a younger kid. And we learn more about Vice Principal Thorne, who we find out was a love rival of Howard back, I think it was back in school and ultimately um, Harold proved to you know win the day and get the girl and, and obviously that it gives us now the explanation as to why this vice principal is such a resentful guy. Yeah, yeah I mean there, there's something's happened years ago as you say and it's caused aggravation and resentment that's built up and uh, lasted for decades and that's why the vice principal's got this real bad attitude towards Scott because of something that happened between um, his father and mother. Now, is there any mention made of what's happened to the mother? I, I, do you know what? It's a good point. I don't think it's ever brought up. I mean, because it doesn't. It's not required, but that's not the point. It's just something that you don't typically see. You, you know, the nuclear family. It's never alluded to, is it? But I yeah. suppose it makes that. I suppose the argument you could make is that. It gives that the bond between the father and son that extra prominence if there's no mother figure. Yeah, and that's a really powerful thing in this film. That that scene in particular was really, really quite one of the more touching scenes in in a film. Again, you know, that's gone from what we thought was going to be terror to uh, comedy and hijinks and um, fun and goofball stuff to uh, to now quite a really touching scene. I think it it. it you know, you could argue and say, oh, well, it doesn't know what it wants to do. But we see this a lot in the kind of films that we watch, this dynamic shift. You know, I think nowadays things have to be either, well, really, really ultra serious or, uh, well, yeah, just really, really ultra serious. It's too too realistic for its own good sometimes, maybe. I think you're right. Um, you mentioned before that Scott asks Booth to the dance, uh, but I think she says that she'll go on the one condition that she goes with Scott Howard and not the wolf. He rejects it, doesn't he? He, he, he? he can't let go of the wolf because he's trying to keep hold of this popularity. Finally, he feels accepted, albeit at the expense of the woman who's making an advance. Oh, yeah. How many times do we see that in films? It's a great... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an everlasting theme, isn't it? Um, you know, you don't, you don't know what you've got till it's gone, maybe you could describe it as. Or the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Might be a bit more fitting. For, for, for and she's, she's a persistent girl, this booth, because Scotty kind of spends the film drooling over this Pamela and she, stay, she stays there, doesn't she? She kind of always is happy to be the fallback option, which is, 
you know, noble in some respect, but it's, you know, whether that would happen in real life, I'm not too sure. Well, no, because, you know, these girls would usually have something, you know, they're not totally one-dimensional in real life, are they, as much as films tell us otherwise. They've got to have a lot going for them. So if 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 another lad, you know, if one lad isn't interested, then uh, somebody else will be. <laughs> well, so the studies lead me to believe, JD. <laughs> Can't really talk from experience. <laughs> but there is one positive of Scotty um, turning down uh, Booth's uh, proposal in that because he goes as the wolf, we have that fantastic scene of Team Wolf getting ready for the dance. And I'm talking the, the night fever, <laughs> the, the hair dryer treatment. I mean, anything you want to add. Oh, does it yeah, take yeah. you back? It does, yeah. He's got the full-on uh, John Travolta suit, hasn't he? And yeah, he spent an awful lot of long time looking in the mirror, getting his, getting his blow-dry sorted out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when he gets to the dance. It's like um, you mentioned before about the, the party and the house party, and you've got this dance. I mean, the dancing at this um, uh, end of school, I don't know if it's like an end of school year thing, but the, the school bash, the dancing and this, I mean, I, I, it's so good. It's cringe. It's, it's cringeworthy, but it's great. Oh, I think it, they actually sing. You're you're a big bad wolf. They have the claw hands out and all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um for a similar idea. If you think of the tech noir scene in Terminator, when Sarah's being hunted by the Terminator, she goes into a nightclub, and there's all these guys dancing. Sleeves rolled up, but the suit on seemed to be in the trend in the eighties. I guess it was a case of you had to still go out wearing a formal suit. That was the done thing. But you were trying to be a little bit more relaxed with it. <laughs> so you rolled up the sleeves. <laughs> the films I think of, especially with the Corey, the two Corys, they'd always have the blazer, but they'd roll the sleeves up. That would seem to be quite prominent in the time. I don't know if we've seen that in this film. Yeah, um, risky business and all that. Pretty much. But it's also a scene where uh, Mick, finally confronts the Team Wolf. He sees now this guy who's um, uh, kind of moving in on his girl. And and he is to an extent. Scotty has kind of took the attentions of Pamela away from Mick. And Mick finally loses it and it, he actually gives him a punch. But why though? Why does he why does he punch him at this stage? He's annoyed with him when he walks in and he's kind of like, oh look at that guy, you know, stay away from but he goes over and says stay away from Pamela. But he hasn't been nearer at this point. He's been with Booth. Yeah. Yeah. I found the dynamic was really interesting because Pamela seemed to be the power player here because she was quite happy to go bowling with Scotty and, and let Scotty kind of, I wouldn't say manhandle her, but being provocative and, you know, the way he was holding the, the bowling ball and those kinds of things. And I think Scotty on the way home says something around, you know, what does this mean? Does this mean we're going steady? And, Pamela kind of nips him in the bud and says, no, you know, Mick's still my boyfriend, which is really unusual because, you know, Mick obviously still goes back to her following these kind of um, moves that Scotty's been making. Yeah, again, you know, maybe Mick is like kind of like the equivalent to Booth in uh, the one who's always going to go back. Maybe he needs to have that um, assurance from the most popular girl um, so he's probably got his own things going on there. I tell you what, there's some some uh, good themes going on underneath this. There really is. I mean, the, the other side of the punch is that it gives Vice Principal Thorne an opportunity to threaten Scotty, uh, albeit even though he was the recipient of the punch. 
but we see Harold step in, don't we? Harold intervenes <laughs> and you know says about you know threatening my son. I told you to stay away. Yeah, when when Scott comes out of the hall and the prin- vice principal's behind him, he just creeps up. He says something like. I've got you right where I want you now. <laughs> There's always, always power craze, these, these people. But that's when we learn, as you say, that's when dad appears. And that's when we learn who the person is because previously dad had only mentioned the name, the first name of... Um, the, Rusty Thorne, Rusty Thorn, I think it was. He said Rusty. Had, yeah, yeah. He said he, Rusty. Um, Rusty Thorne. Did we know his name was... Did we know it was him until this point? <laughs> Or did we only find out? Sure. I think yeah, we I only think find that. out at that point when dad steps in and the vice principal sort of looks down. That's when we realize, oh yeah, it was him when he was younger. And he's that's where the grudge is. So nice little twist in the tale there, too. It is. And and very much like the superhero films that we see, there always reaches a point in the film when the hero thinks, you know, have I gone too far? Is this bringing about more pain? And Scotty has that moment where he talks about retiring the wolf. Um, and I think, you know, I think Tobey Maguire does this, doesn't he? In one of the Spider-Man movies, he kind of says, you know, no more. You know, I want to live the normal life and, you know, go back to the way things were. And, and this is that moment in Team Wolf. Yeah, the, because what, what what you've got is uh, in a film situation. So if you imagine the film and the, the arc of the story, there is a point in the arc where our character, our hero, has gained these gifts, these powers. Now that's elevated them above others. So something's got to happen now because he we can no we can't relate to him so much anymore. We did before. We can't relate to him anymore because he or she has gained these powers and got on this next level journey. So something needs to happen to them that pulls them down back to facing a similar situation or similar dilemma that we do in our normal lives as normal people without these gifts. So in order that we can empathize with our character and get back on their side as well, because his head's ballooned in a way and he's become arrogant. So now he needs to be brought brought down a peg or two. And then that's when we pick up as, as a viewer and re, rejoin our, our, our hero's uh, fate and journey and maybe learn a little something along the way. And that's where the best sort of uh, moral stories come out in in these uh, in these stories. I find, and and that's why I think superhero stories will will be perennial and all, and always be with us. Yeah, I mean, Team Wolf for, for everything that it's got, its storytelling's really clever, and and it kind of get it always hits the mark at the right moment. I've got to say, it's like it's only something I, I watched that a lot as a kid, but watching it recently, it it, it came to the fore so prominently. It's like there was powerful scenes in this movie and a powerful script. That's right, yeah. Um, you know, uh, the writer of the film, we were talking about powerful scripts, powerful themes, powerful stories. The writer was a guy called Jeff Loeb. I don't know if you've heard of him. I, I think Was he a comic writer? He's a comic book writer, also responsible for Smallville. There so I'm go. sure he was relying a lot on his Team Wolf script there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this just, this just totally explains everything that we've just been talking about there. He was his comic book writer, comic book stories, comic book heroes, great themes underlying. And you don't need a huge budget. You don't need a huge amount to tell a great story. We know this to be true. We arrive at the championship game. It's uh, the Dragons versus the Beavers. And Scotty Howard enters the gymnasium, but not as the Team Wolf, just as Scotty. Uh, It's a really important moment because he 
approaches the team, they're down and out. I think they're getting beat quite heavily, aren't they? And he kind of says to them, look, I'm, you know, I know I've been stealing the spotlight and somewhat, but I think we can beat them. Um, but I want to do it as me and as you guys. And it's an important point in the film, isn't it? It's what what's the film telling us here? Is 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 it, is it what's on the inside that was always crucial to Scott and the rest of the team? Yeah, his powers when the things he was given, his powers were as who he was as a person inside already. Now you could argue on the other hand and say, oh, rubbish, claptrap. Um, you know, if you're good at the game, you're going to win and you've got to win at all costs. Okay, well, that's one way of looking at it. But the other is the heart. You know, he had the heart to do it. Let's not forget, Rocky never won in the first film. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's it's about that having that drive to do something. It's about the effort that you've put into it and the journey that you've been on whilst you've done it too. And all right. And that, that, that belief, of course, kind of resonates with the other teams because, or the other players in his team, because suddenly they can play basketball. They're making the shots. Yeah, that 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 teamwork, that bonding and everything that they've put in together has really driven the team forward and together as one. So go, I don't know about, go Beavers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but I thought of the Karate Kid when this scene came on. Um, here we are back in a school gymnasium, the crescendo point of the film, and we start to get the turning of the screw. And just as we get to the crucial point, the soundtrack kicks in. And, and they chose this one so well. Um, I can't re quite recall who sang this, but the, the song, of course, was Win in the End. I actually think this was at one point being touted as being in Rocky IV. Um, I'm sure I read something that it was going to be used in a Rocky film. And you can see why, because it's got all those beats um, and those points where it kind of it, it pumps you, doesn't it? It lifts you up. Ah, uh, okay. Well, you know, you did, 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 well remembered on the song there, JD. Um, a note, a note again on the music. It is, it is winning the end. The artist actually performing that song is a guy called Mark Safan. No, me neither. Uh, but the point is, the vast majority of songs, all but one, in this film, were written lyrics by, by a guy called Douglas Brayfield, and the music was by a, a jazz composer called Miles Goodman. So even though all of the songs I mean, apart from Surfing USA, which is a Beach Boys song, but all of those songs are sung by different people, but they were written by the same two, mm. two men who put them together for those films. So um, I love the themes that are coming out in them. You know, they are proper movie uh, movie songs, aren't they? This is the kind awesome. of film where you would imagine someone like a, um, like a John Parr doing a, a song for it. <laughs> but it seems to work because uh, the Beavers make it, I think there's about uh, five seconds to go, and they, or I think time runs out just as they win a uh, penalty. I, think they, I know me and you aren't clued up on basketball, as some of our listeners might be in the States, or of course some of our listeners elsewhere. Um, but I think when you get a penalty, I don't know if it's two, three shots, but we've come full circle. We had the opening scene of the film when uh, Scotty misses these shots. Here he is, the loser, down and out. And now here he is at the end of the film with the chance to win the championship game. Well, um, my my understanding of basketball uh, is that the as the game is about to end, everything goes in slow motion, and as everything goes in slow motion in the dying seconds, the ball goes around the rim before finally dropping into the basket. So that that's my cultural understanding of the game of basketball. But do you know what? It's such a a great scene, and um, 
because obviously we have you know the slow motion and whatnot, but you have the bully who's standing under the basket, you know, facing him, and, and you see that point at which the second shot goes in, and Mick kind of just closes his eyes. It's it's so well filmed. It's such a great scene, and of course that ultimately ensures victory for the Beavers, and um, we have the I suppose the real victory. I mean, you you could argue this is is following the championship game is. Who's the prize here? You know, is he going to go for uh, Pamela or is he going to go for Booth? And the film's shot in such a way that it looks like he's walking towards Pamela, but he ignores it, doesn't he? Uh, and he heads over to, to Booth. It's a, <laughs> yeah. great scene. it's a great scene. It is. It's the kind of scene, again, you'd only see this in 80s films, and you know, you know, you wouldn't get that now. I think if it were to happen today, you'd, you'd actually see him go towards Booth, who would then turn to him and say, Nah, <laughs> you know, you treated me like garbage, so I'm out of here. And then he turns to Pamela and she goes, ah, if you're not going to be the wolf anymore, then <laughs> see ya. Now, I would usually wrap up the, the movie review at that, but I can't with this film because something happens after the celebrations. Uh, I don't know if you know what I'm alluding to here, but there's a very uh, infamous scene at the end of this film, uh, which comes after the the embrace between Booth and Scotty, something that actually wasn't intended to make it into the film, but did. Are you aware of it, sir? I mean, other than the... No, right, listen, if you knew if you knew what it was, I think you'd have already said it oh, by okay. now, which means that you're probably going to go back, have to go back and watch the film, because right at the death of this movie, um, someone in the background, uh, one of the extras in the benches of the basketball game, has is stood there whilst everyone's hugging and embracing with his tackle out. No. Oh yes, and it was all well planned and well thought out. I actually don't know how long after the film was released that this actually comes to light, but it's now obviously it's infamous or famous if you like. There's videos about it on YouTube. I think the guy <laughs> came forward to say that he did it as a goof, but didn't realise it was going to make it into the final cut. But there he is, a PG film. Interestingly enough, when you watch it back. Um, I think it was on Amazon Prime, which I watched it on this week. It still makes it into the cut. It's like it's still. I think it's because it's so obscure. People aren't looking for it. But you need to go back and check that out. Oh wow, I didn't know that. I mean, I was distracted more so by the as they hug and embrace. <laughs> they there's a freeze frame classic, but then the rest of the scene carries on in kind of like um, slow motion, almost that like uh, how would you describe it? 12 frames per second type of thing like a stop start stop start <laughs> but i didn't notice the gentleman with his um <laughs> with the <laughs> well that is one for you to freeze frame <laughs> okay um but that wraps up our review let's move on did you know okay just dog did you know that when choosing a director for the film all the candidates were asked what they thought the movie was about after reading the script and all but one of them said that it was a werewolf movie. But Rod Daniel said it was about a father and son ultimately getting picked ahead of the other hopefuls. And this goes back to what we said earlier about what this film's really about. And Rod Daniel obviously clearly understood that. Ah, that's an interesting one. Uh, yeah, yeah. The writers and director uh, were totally convinced that this picture was going to bomb. Jeff Loeb, Weissman, I can't think of the, the guy's forename, and the director, Rod Daniels, um, they ended up going to an afternoon screening on the opening day and only four people showed up. Um, so they kind of shrugged the shoulders and 
thought, well, that's it. You know, we, we put all our effort in, but not to be. But after dinner, the same three men went to Westwood, which is a college town uh, for a 7.30 showing and discovered that it was in a sellout. And following the film, everyone was up in the chairs cheering and they kind of knew that they were, they'd created something special and it was obviously going to go on and kind of do a lot better than they anticipated. Okay, so so like it was one of those films where they waited until they saw the audience's reaction before they actually were able to tell it was going to be. Now, you, you see the, the difference there between that and a big budget film is they absolutely research to the hilt everything first before they make any financial commitment. And then what you end up with a lot of the time is a hit and miss because, you know, you can't bottle lightning. You've got to, it's got, something's got to work with it. Um, so when you try and make a formula out of things, it tends not to work. But obviously that's just clearly shown, you know, show these kinds of films to people and they'll really catch on. Oh, totally. Um, did you know that the film's title in Brazil was changed to capitalise on another film's success in and around the time? Uh, Team Wolf was released after Back to the Future in Brazil. So the name of the film was changed to Garoto do Futuro, which translates to Boy from the Future. I mean, which is ins- which is insane. <laughs> Team Wolf has absolutely nothing to do with it. But of course, why not capitalise on something which was a, a phenomenon like Back to the Future? And, and it must have worked. Oh, maybe they could have had that as the tagline, you know, the star in the boy from, from the future. <laughs> not the actual, <laughs> the actual, actual film name. <laughs> Did you know, speaking of Back to the Future, that a number of uh, scenes in this film were uh, filmed in similar locations to Back to the Future. I, uh, I did actually notice what, when I was watching the film, a couple of shots which seemed familiar. I mean, the road where they lived. I mean, I don't know if I've seen that in quite a lot of films. Um, it, it, at one point, it looked like the film from License to Drive um, or maybe like the, the George, George Banks house from Father of the Bride or that grand street with the, the big trees. It did look familiar. Yeah, it's actually um, that when when Marty's knocked over and is taken into L- Lorraine's house, that is that Scott's house, uh, Lorraine's house. The exterior is the ah. same same place. There are oh, also, there are a couple of other um, filming locations as well, which when I looked it up were being used in lots of eighty films, so you will recognise it from things. Uh, the school itself, you know, immediately I thought, is that the school from Back to the Future? It's it, it's not, but it's a school that has been used. It's a middle school in uh, an area of Los Angeles. It's been used in, according to the IMDb, at least fourteen films. It must be because of its um, sort of old school stereotypical corridor. With the lockers, long corridor, and the uh, the big gymnasium as well. Do we do we know any of these fourteen films that that it appeared in? It's the John Burroughs Middle School. How could they not know that? It was used in A Nightmare on Elm Street, Pretty in Pink. This film, Starsky and Hutch, Never Being Kissed, Pleasantville, a film called The Opposites of Sex, Teaching Miss oh, Tingle, yeah. nineteen ninety nine, Prom, uh, Tough. Not heard of that one. Uh, the Samurai of Strongsville, Ohio, Rex Buster, Six Feet Under, and a film from 1997, straight to video, can only be Casper, A Spirited Beginning. <laughs> so, so, so I imagine a lot of the schools around the, these towns, in, in, uh, Los Angeles, California, whatever it was, have appeared in all sorts of films. It must, be, must be great to be one of these students going to these colleges and knowing the history of the films that have been made there. 
Oh, I'd love it. You know, we, we would be like the real buffs. <laughs> buffs. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you know, JD, that uh, Michael J. Fox does play a 17-year-old quite well because he was uh, he was actually a lot older than that when he filmed it. He was 23. Styles was played by Jerry Levine, and he was 27. Chubby is played by a guy called Mark Holton, and he was 26. And Mick is played by Mark Arnold, and he was 27 too. So Yeah, I mean, it's, like I say, we, they are, and they get away with it. And most of all, uh, you know, Michael J. Fox, because he did have that youthful look. He could have passed for the, someone in high school. Yeah, I think, um, you know, he, he's got that young look about him, hasn't he? Even now, he still looks very young too. Uh, and lastly, JD, did you know that the basketball jersey was actually sold at auction uh, in Beverly Hills a couple of years ago for $33,000? Ah, that's not as much as I thought you were going to say, actually. Well, for a, for a basketball jersey, that's huge. Yeah, it's Team Wolf's basketball jersey. Oh, okay, fair enough then. <laughs> Put it this way, if I had a lot of money, that would, I'd be willing to go higher than that. That's, inter- that's really interesting. You and me. Okay, J-Dog, it's time to put your knowledge of Team Wolf to the test. Question one. What was the number on Michael J. Fox's, or should, sorry, on Scotty Howard's basketball jersey for the Beavers? Oh, uh, number nine? No, it was 42. <laughs> um, so close. Um, what Question two. What was the final score of the championship game? 32-30. No, it was, uh, as the clock uh, ran down to zero, it was 51-50 uh, uh, the Dragons. And then, of course, Scotty has the two free shots. So final score ultimately was 52-51 to the Beavers. Okay. Um, and question three, the legendary coach Finstock gives Scotty three rules to live by. Can you remember any of them? I'll let you name one and you can get the point. Oh, something about someone with a knife. <laughs> um, someone, oh God, what was it? A tattoo, a tattoo of a knife or something like that? I'm going to give you that. Oh, yeah. come um, on, why just put me out of my misery? Well, can you think of the others whilst you're on it? No. Okay, uh, so basically, uh, the, he's, I can't remember the point in the film, but he says there are three rules to live by. Uh, never get less than 12 hours sleep. 12? <laughs> uh, never play cards with a guy who has the same first name as a city. <laughs> and number three, the one you got, is never get involved with a woman with a tattoo with a dagger on her body. Oh, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, third, the last one would have been self-evident. But the others are funny too. Okay, all right. We've talked about this before, JD. But why does Scott smack the kid in the back of the head in the shop to get the dog whistle out of his mouth? Yeah, yeah. He's playing a dog whistle. You mentioned it before. <laughs> Easy one. Okay, it's a tricky one. Uh, when uh, Styles opens up his locker, all things uh, fly out because it's been set up like a prank. What 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 sticks out 
Oh, is it one of those? Is it one of those goggle glasses with like the boingy eyes? No, but no. Okay, I can see why you said that. Um, yeah. Okay, I'll give you a little bit of a clue on this one. You could find them in a pack. Playing cards. Yep, deck of playing cards that are all sorts of pegged together and hanging out. So yeah. give you that one. Well, there's all sorts in that locker. Yeah, uh, and when, lastly, when Styles turns up in a converted delivery van, what's written on the side? Wolfmobile. Wolfmobile, three out of three. Well done, there JD. Proud of that one. Um, let's move on to some of our listener feedback. Listener feedback. Okay, uh, not many this week. First one came in from Bong Ripper Jack Tripper at Labodi, who said it's a fun take on the teen werewolf subgenre. Uh, the supporting cast does a great job, and I'm staunch, staunchly team booth over Pamela um, now I like this tweet because I think it gives us three things to kind of quickly get our teeth into no pun intended mm-hmm. but he said that it was a fun take on the teen werewolf subgenre and I think there is a couple of films in and around that time um, I know some of them are a bit more horror led but I'm sure there's a film actually in the early 80s I think it was about 81 which actually was a bit of a teen wolf movie but for whatever reason it wasn't a success it was a a bit of a disaster, really. I don't know if you can think of the one I'm referring to. And, of course, I suppose Team Wolf had Michael J. Fox to, to carry it, which was always going to help, especially with the, the success of Back to the Future in and around the time. Oh, OK. Well, I didn't know that. No, I didn't realise it was a whole uh, subgenre of its own. The only one I can think of genuinely is an American, American werewolf, of course. He also mentions the supporting cast doing a great job, and I think that's a great shout. I mean, you can go through this entire film and everyone plays the part well, whether it's the vice principal, whether it's Scott's dad, uh, you know, the friend Styles, uh, the protagonist, and the antagonist in the form of Mick. Everyone plays the roles well, don't they, in this film? Yeah, I mean, when we come to our favourite scenes and characters, there's one who we haven't mentioned yet who I really, really want to mention, so I'll hold the whole that thought for now. And, and lastly... Um, Bong Ripper says that he's staunchly team Booth over Pamela. Just wondering what you are, if I was to put you on the spot. Um, if I was going back now to when I was 16, 17 years of age, I'd probably be team Pamela. <laughs> team Pamela? Well, you know, you're a teenager and you 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 go after the girl who you really like, don't you? You know, you know she's uh she's you never gonna even look at you twice, but you do anyway if you're a dog you're shallow, like me. You shallow bastard, yeah. Well, no, what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm to... Well, at least he's um, got the option. You know, I didn't even have okay. that. No, I think I think most people, if you maybe visually, oh, I think Team Booth, you know, would get it would get a high number of. The on here, but well, in hindsight, on, in hindsight, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, being the man I am now, 35 years of age, of course, team booth, boff, whatever the name is. Uh, Qui Gon Glynn at Real Glynn Davis <laughs> said it's a it's a it's a classic <laughs> and great fun. Uh, made me love basketball and Michael J. Fox even more than I already did after Back to the Future, and I think it's a great shout. I mean. Michael J. Fox, he's got this screen presence, hasn't he? He's short and, he, you know, he, he's not an imposing figure, but he he's such a great character actor, isn't he? Yeah, well, Qui-Gon Glynn, what a name. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, he is, yeah. He's got this, there's a real charisma about him that really works effectively on screen. I actually only ever saw a clip of him in Family Ties when he was a bit, 
after I've seen Back to the Future. And I don't know, he's just one of those people who strikes me as he doesn't really belong on TV, he belongs in films. And I think he really stands out in films. And it's just a shame that his career was cut relatively short because of a terrible illness that happened at an age that it really shouldn't have for him or for anyone for that matter, but uh, particularly in his case, yeah. Oh, totally agree. Uh, and last tweet came in from Sarah Jane at Canadian Syrup, who simply said, absolutely loved it and still do. And I'm with you on that one, Sarah Jane. Hey, I'm ready to see you. Okay, J-Dog, fire away. Okay, so, uh, all right, we've got all the transformation scenes and the party scenes and all those, you know, brilliant things that remind us of fun in 80s. But the ones that steal it for me are any with the character who we've not mentioned, which is the the drama teacher. Because uh, you said about all of the actors having their own, they're all, they all go go for it. And he is perfect, you know, there's... Um, he's he's a stereotypical snobby playwright yeah it? like the only thing that matters is this play that he's doing you know no no nothing could ever he could never ever face the possibility that actually do you know what if things don't go right on the night it's really not the end of the world it's almost like he's come from um great heights in the past maybe and now he's uh he's quote marks just in a school what i'm saying is you know it's not the end of the world. It's not millions of dollars on the line here. Mr. Wally, his name is, has just come back to me. But uh, when he does the, when um, Scott does the audition, he says, you know, something like, uh, um, or, or the girl, Pamela, he, one of them does the, the audition and says, how was my acting? And he says, <laughs> very sensual. I'm still in pain. <laughs> Which I think it's a great line. And then there's another one later on, and he's sort of, again, he's sort of slumped in the chair. He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he says something like, I said mauve, not turquoise. <laughs> <laughs> and then another one later on, just to finish off, that was really something. <laughs> a real snob of a guy. I actually didn't have a favourite scene in this film. I found it really difficult to to find a standout scene or a, even a standout moment um so i think instead of a favorite scene i would just point to in this film's case the script which i really did believe was the winner and ultimately why this film has i suppose the following and, and why it brings you know a lot of joy and certainly i can only speak you know personally and it's like I know from when I was in school and speaking to people and, and, and obviously looking online and, and hearing people's thoughts on the film, um, there's a reason why it's so beloved. And I put it down to the script. It's such a, a great script. And you've obviously got the, the main plot point and it's this journey between, the, the, or the relationship rather, between uh, Scotty and his dad and how that plays out and, and finding that, you know the real power is within and that kind of stuff. But even the subplots, you know, the antagonist, you know, the bully, the basketball team, everything was so well layered and everything was given the, you know, the right screen time. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to put my favourite scene in this. I mean, the obvious could be, you know, because of the soundtrack at the end, you might say that, you know, the montage of the basketball game. But no, I just think the story itself is the winner. So I'm going to leave it at that and uh, we will move on. Movie Legacy. So 36 years on from Team Wolf, now Jaff Dog. It's had uh, two sequels. Uh, well, uh, one direct sequel in, in Team Wolf 2 and a, a sub-sequel, if you, I suppose you could call it, a, a film which was called Teen Witch. I don't know if you knew that one. Uh, no, which came hold, hold, hold the press. What? There you go. It, yes. So 
unfortunately, it wasn't a great success, much like the uh, Team Wolves 2 with uh, Jason Bateman. Uh, my, my understanding is that Michael J. Fox didn't want to return because he actually didn't like Team Wolf. Um, I don't know if that's still the case now. I think it may have had something to do with he was kind of both working on Back to the Future at the same time. And obviously, I think such was the you know the, the, the emphasis on Back to the Future. This may have been a distraction. I'm not quite sure. So we'll call it one sequel and maybe one uh, sub-sequel in the form of Team Witch. Uh, it also had an animated series, which ran for two seasons. I think that was about 20, 21 episodes. Uh, interestingly enough, James Hampton, who played uh, Harold Howard, the dad, also voiced Harold in the animated series. Ah, okay. Um, and of course, more recently, we've had a, a TV series lasting six seasons. And to be fair, it has, has received quite good critical acclaim. I think it was well received. But other than that, I think Team Wolf itself, certainly in the format of this film from 1985, is, is long gone. It, it's, you know, stuck where it is in 1985. I don't think we'll ever see a continuation of that story. If there is something, it's going to become along the same lines as what that recent TV show was. Something entirely different. Yeah, you know, it's this. we've talked about this before. Films like Big, for example, the idea of a supernatural uh, something happening in the in a real world it doesn't necessarily happen so much now. Body swapping and this transformation, things like that, um, you just don't get it. It is it is very much of the past. Uh, interesting that you mentioned the subsequent TV series there. Um, I was reading into this because I believe this is now on Netflix. Um, however, that series ran from 2011 to about 2017. So in a way, it was actually um, out before not before netflix because obviously netflix was going in that time but what i'm saying is it it's become more popular in recent years now that now that it's finished rather than actually you know when it's actually still on good to see that it has got popularity there i think there is always going to be something in those kinds of stories that will appeal to teenagers of that age again and the transformation and change and all of the things that are going to happen during adolescence and things like that and also hot on the heels of, of twilight which was a rip-roaring success wasn't it yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, you know, uh, teenage angst caught between supernatural change too. It's always a winner. Um, we were also at Smallville, which, as we know, obviously we discussed, written by Jeff Loeb, who uh, uh, who also wrote this film. So, of course, carrying on some of those themes of change and uh, teenage years and going through all those kinds of things too. So, what about uh, Team Wolf nineteen eighty five being viewed through the lens of of twenty twenty one? Well, you can certainly enjoy it for what it is and uh, enjoy it Enjoy it for uh, its cheesiness. Um, I spoke to a youngster the other day uh, just about this film. He actually mentioned it as being a film that he really, really liked. Um, so that was quite quite amusing to actually actually find that out. There's obviously something there that was enjoyable for, uh, for, for a youngster nowadays. So there's some hope that it might still be uh, enjoyed. Is it? Is it a classic film in the sense of 10 out of 10? Might not necessarily give it a 10 out of 10, JD. Yeah, I mean, it was so popular in my household when we were growing up. We always quoted the lines, give me a keg of beer and that kind of stuff. And um, We adored it. And it's funny, when you're watching things as a kid, I don't think you obviously notice certain things like the scene when Styles is looking for a stash. I remember as a kid always thinking about why, what was, I always remember thought of that as being money. And obviously now when you're a bit older, you see things differently, but it certainly holds up for me. I mean, even though I've watched this film 
multiple times. I probably haven't watched it for quite a while. Um, and, and watching it this week, I still got the same feeling as I did when I watched it as a kid. It was feel good. It had a great soundtrack. It's a great cast. It ticks all those 80s boxes, which is the reason why we do this podcast and we love it. So I suppose it's the point in the show when I ask you for the all-important mark out of 10. I'm going to give this one a nine, JD. Okay, I'm happy with that. I mean, like I say, I think the nostalgia in me would have loved it to have got a 10. But I think when you compare it to the films that we've given 10 over the course of the 20 episodes, a la Back to the Future and whatnot, I think nine is a more than uh, worthy score of a film of this ilk. But any, any final thoughts before we go? Just to say thank you very much for listening once again. You'll be hopefully howling with laughter at our nice. podcast. <laughs> and will join us again in the future for what will be our, our 21st episode, 21. There you go. Uh, and that does, of course, wrap up episode 20 of the Circuits of Time movie review podcast. Don't forget we are on Twitter at Circuits of Time. And we're also on Instagram at Circuits of Time 80 or I don't know. I'm still getting used to this Instagram thing, but we are there if you, if you search up Circuits of Time. I'm sure we'll pop up. You'll recognise our pink and blue logo. But that's about it. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you all next time. See you next time, nerds.